0: Um, Obviously, we placed him on on the IL. Um, We'll term it as uh, right elbow inflammation. I think in terms of of next steps, there will be um, a second opinion. There'll also be um, some strategy on, on... what the treatment plan will look like that that still hasn't been determined completely. And we'll let uh, the other doctors weigh in. And then, you know, ultimately then we'll have an idea of of what this will look like in terms of timing and what will need to be done in the training room.
2: It was John Mozaylock, the president of baseball operations, yesterday before the rainout between the Mets and the Cardinals in Game Two, talking about Jordan Hicks. He's going to miss considerable time. That is BK. I'm Danny Mac. It's the Dan McLaughlin Show, the Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN, and Tanner is here as well. I got to ask you though, BK. First of all, good morning to you guys. You don't like uh, T-Bone?
0: No, I like T-Bone just fine, but I call him yeah, Tanner. Yeah, BK. I call him Tanner. That's my guy, Tanner Hendrickson. His mama called him Tanner. I'm going to call him Tanner. Do you like Tanner or T-Bone? I'm down for whatever. You're
2: down for whatever. That sounds never, more like a guy named T-Bone.
0: Never never had the nickname <laughs> T-Bone until the first time I met Jamie Rivers. He said, what's your name? I said, Tanner. And he went T-Bone, and then it's been that ever since. Well,
2: so, hockey guys always have, you know, I, I you can't go like Hen- Hendrixy you know, it's it's always like you got BK or you got Ribs. You got yeah. you got to shorten the name. You can't A lot really of the sh- time, it's a Y. Just no add a I'm Y saying. to Hendrix whatever C. the can't, name
0: can't is. Can't like do that. Like BKZ is what is what uh, Ferrario somehow decided to call me. Can't which, do it. Yeah, it, it doesn't work for Tanner Z. There's nothing there for you. So I I think you got to go uh, again with T
2: Bone, and I'm with it. So T Bone, good morning to you. Good morning. Let's jump into Jordan Hicks. So he left Saturday's game, right elbow inflammation. Cardinals put him on the 10-day IL. As John Moselock just said, it's going to be well beyond the 10 days. This year, 10 games, 10 innings. ERA was over 5, Walk 10, struck out 10. Throw out the numbers. You just want the guy healthy. He was hitting triple digits at times this year. And coming off of Tommy John, you knew there'd be some bumps in the road in terms of maybe control, might go out there someday, not have a good feel for pitches. It's been a while since he's been out there, and then as you graduate towards the middle of the summer, the end of the summer, you would hope that he would refine that and be more sharp. I'm not counting on him probably for, I would say, six weeks. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not in there. I haven't seen the imaging. But when they say four weeks, I always add on a couple of more because you're talking about trying to rehab. And let's be honest, you're going to be awfully cautious with this arm it's a precious arm so disappointing news yesterday at the ballpark
0: yeah the way that I'm gonna approach this is this is just me this is not me speaking for the organization but me on the outside looking in I am going to approach the season as if Hicks is not a part of it and that is not me suggesting that he won't be But similar to the Miles Michaelis situation, I will be happy with whatever he's able to give them this year. And that's that's for me the way that I'm going to approach it. So I'll look at the roster and we can break these things down any which way. Um, Ryan Helsley, you are now significantly more important than you previously were. Um, A guy like Cody Whitley, you have just taken an increased role in what the bullpen's going to need out of you. For my money, Alex Reyes, you are now the locked in closer for the remainder of the season. Giovanni Gallegos, you are already one of the most important arms on this team, and it just become that much more significant. So this is a big injury for the Cardinals, and I'm going to be interested to see what those roles look like in the sixth and seventh innings now as they try to replace what Hicks was giving them. Mike Shelton, his bullpen.
1: Well, I think, you know, look, we've we've had some contributions from a lot of our relievers. um, Jordan, we're going to miss, but you know it basically slides in a a whitley um you know webby a little bit more in the lefty side of it you know helsley just kind of depends but you know ultimately it's uh it's about getting other guys you know a couple more opportunities that you know they get a chance to step up and we're comfortable and confident they'll, they'll do just that
2: yeah bk i'm with you i think ryan helsley takes on a greater role this year and has earned it too um his secondary pitches look a lot better to me than this time. Well, this time last year we were shut down, so I wasn't (laughs) on a backfield watching him or some park, but you know what I'm saying. The season that was 2020, I I think he's refined those. He's got the fastball, which we all know it's upper 90s to, at times, triple digits. He's hit uh, 100 a few times this year. So, I'm with you. I I think Helsley graduates maybe towards higher leverage situations. Here's something, and I don't know if you thought about it. What happens when Miles Michaelis gets off the il if you get him back now that's going down a few weeks here he's going to make a start at memphis uh this week he'll probably have another one see how he bounces back he's throwing every compliment of pitch that he has so if you get him back then somebody else slides into the bullpen you know it's something to think about what happens when you decide not to go with the and i'm not calling it a six-man rotation it's a sixth starter It's
0: a spot start. Spot start or however you want to look at it. It's a spot
2: start. People go nuts over this. It's a spot start.
0: They're on the same exact schedule that they were previously. It's just instead of having an off day mixed in there, they've got a spot start that's mixed in there. Thank you. It's pretty
2: simple. It's a spot start. Johan Oviedo will make one today. So maybe Johan Oviedo fits into your plans as being a guy that could be the Ryan Helsley role that he's been filling and Helsley kind of slides down. So you got to think about how guys fit here. You know, to me, Oviedo should be in the major leagues. Now I know that he wants to be a starter. Long term, he will be a starter. Is it beneficial to have him starting in the minor leagues and stretched out in case you have injury? I can make that case too. But I love to see him in the big leagues because I think he's such a weapon. And if he's a weapon that can help your club up here right now, and I again I understand the long term plays, he's in the rotation. And I want him there. Just like Alex Reyes, I want him there. But for the here and now. Maybe Johan Oviedo is that guy that fits the Ryan Helsley role that he had until we got the news yesterday. It's a
0: really interesting way to look at it. I hadn't really thought about him being an option there. I, I would look more towards the John Gant being in that role maybe. For sure. He's giving he's you another one. It's a little different because he could probably be more multi-inning reliever for you than what you're seeing out of Helsley.
2: So here was the, the way I'd look at it. Sure. If, if Michaelis is healthy, then Gant slides to the bullpen. At least that right. would be my my suggestion or at least what would be proposed
0: especially if Carlos is throwing like this still. that's
2: right and if not then maybe if so then the other thing is if Miles Michaelis isn't available Gant stays in the rotation and maybe Oviedo has a role in your bullpen that's kind of how
0: I look at it here's a wild one for you could you make a case for Oviedo Viedo staying in the rotation, in the rotation yep. and Gant then bumping back into the bullpen either way whether Michaelis is healthy or not
2: yes I could I I think what the Cardinals would do is say that we've dangled this carrot to John Gant. That's fair. And he's got the longer resume in the big leagues and we're going to keep him where he's at. If, if the, if we got to decide between the two, but then I got to say, I've got another guy that's got a long resume in miles Michaelis. And that's why I can justify making the move to move Gant to the bullpen if need be. Now we're putting the cart ahead of the horse here again. I get it, (laughs) but those are some of the options they got to be thinking of right now.
0: Yeah, the Cardinals, I can I can assure you, are having these conversations sure. internally right now. They, they're good at their jobs, and these are the types of things that they're wondering, okay, how does this work? Let's look out two, three weeks in advance. What do we look like? And so it, it is interesting, and this is one of the benefits for them, Dan, of having so much depth, not just in the rotation or in the as a staff, the pitching arms that they have available to them. Now it's a, de- a question of how do we deploy them? We know we've got the guys. Now, where are they best utilized? Do we, now that we have a triple-A season, which is factoring into all of this, is it better for a guy like Oviedo to continue to be stretched out in case we need him in the big leagues? Or is it more advantageous for us to get those high leverage innings out of him here and now in the majors? So... I think I would lean towards having him continue to stretch out. I just don't want to pigeonhole him into a reliever role because I think he's got a future next year as being one of the five guys in the rotation.
2: I got him in my rotation next year.
0: I think I agree with you. And so for that reason, I don't want him to be running into any sort of limits next year the way that we've seen in the past with some of the young guys. With you, I see it. Uh, Young arm, got to build it up. Didn't have a
2: minor league season. Now he got five starts last year, and that's better than most in the minor leagues. But I I also... Ultimately, what are the minor leagues? To help your major league club. So, I'm really... He's one of
0: your 12 best. Like, there's no doubt about that. There's no question in my mind if you're going with, hey, who are 12 best arms, 13 best arms to help us in the big leagues? Oviedo is one of those guys.
2: Really torn on on that situation. Here's something interesting I wanted to throw at you. This is by uh, stats by stats, and they do a great job. With every major league team right now not having at least a dozen losses, no team will be better than 18 and 12 at the 30 game mark this year. So this is the first time in major league history that no team had a winning percentage above six hundred through thirty games in a season. So I guess you got a little parody. I think it will change, in particular with that team out west. The Dodgers, they have not caught fire yet. I think they will, and we'll look up at some point and they'll be like 40 and 10 over 50 game stretch and go, okay, well, there it is. Here's an interesting thing, too, and doing some numbers with the new york mets so the mets aren't hitting they fired their hitting coach chili davis so you look at jacob Degrom, marcus stroman Taiwan walker so these guys these three pitchers doing these numbers have combined to make 15 of the team's 23 games they've started they've got a 1.68 combined era cardinals will uh, face stroman and walker here in the final uh, two of the three of the final uh, three games of the series the mets are 11 and 12 wow man so it's just it's odd it's been kind of an odd season and speaking of degrom as a baseball fan hated seeing him get scratched yesterday i hate it i want to see that guy pitch whether it's against the cardinals or against the cubs or against the dodgers i don't care who it is i want to see him pitch because he's good for the game he's great for the game and if you bought a ticket last night you got double whammy you got uh degrom getting scratched and then he got rained out so Hopefully he's going to be okay, but I really want to see him pitch.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I was talking about this with Tanner and Alex yesterday on our show, looking at the Mets and Dan, I was looking at your guys' graphics that you guys do, where you you just look up through the lineup, right? And I was doing a comparison of the two teams. And before the season, if you had shown me the graphics of the Mets lineup versus the Cardinals lineup, I would have been like, yeah, probably take the Mets. It's probably a little closer than some nationally would indicate, but I would probably take the Mets. You look at them now and it's like, Yeah, I'm going to be hard pressed to take that Mets lineup over what we're seeing right now out of the Cardinals. And maybe that's too reactionary by me, but I think the Cardinals lineup with what we've seen so far this year, especially out of Tyler O'Neill in particular, he's the swing guy. It's changed my perspective on how I view this team. I always thought they would have good pitching. We knew they were going to be spectacular defensively when healthy. The lineup has kind of changed things where you mentioned it with the records. I'm starting to like this team relative to the rest of the National League a little better. So right here
2: now. are my swing positions, that, and I'm with you. I would have said, first and foremost, left field. Right now, I'm taking Tyler O'Neill over Dominic Smith. What about in right field? You got Conforto or Dylan Carlson. I'm taking Dylan Carlson. Third base, they've got a good third baseman that hits for some power, but I'm always going to take Nolan Arenado. I love Jeff McNeil at second base. He's a really good player, yeah. and he made some really good plays in game one of the series. I'm taking Tommy Edmond. I mean, and, and the catcher spot combined what you're getting out of Kisner and Molina to start this year, I'm taking the Cardinals' catching situation. So, yeah, are there warts on every team? Absolutely. But when you start looking at the better teams in the league and starting comparing some of these things, hey, the Cardinals are right there doing these numbers, too. The last seven or last game, seven different Cardinals. Uh, with a hit okay so six different cardinals with a run four different cardinals with an rbi and that's to the point that we're talking about that you're getting production up and down the lineup cardinals have six players with eight or more extra base hits 10 or more rbi not many teams can say that that's getting production up and down of your lineup that's one of the differences as to why they're winning probably the main reason is you're pitching and you're starting pitching in particular and a very good closer at the back end that makes it interesting, but he gets out of them. You're starting pitching combined with the spread out length in your lineup because Goldschmidt has not been Gold, Goldschmidt so far this year. Yep. It's at times, but not to what the level we expect or have seen. That's why you're winning these games.
0: Yeah, just wait until Goldie and DeYoung get hot because they oh will. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen for for them at some point this year. And Dan, this is what I've been waiting for for Harrison Bader. I know Cardinals fans, I, I, I hear you you get frustrated with Bader and I understand it. I have as well in the past, but when you have a lineup like this one through six, that's producing in front of him. And then whenever you get Yachty back one through seven in front of him, that's producing. Well, now having a guy at the back end of your lineup that can hit for a little power crushes lefties, as we saw the other night and occasionally can run into one against a righties as well, righty as well. And he's playing the defense that he does. Okay. Now that's a guy that not only you're not too worried about having in your lineup. Now you like having him out there. He's a reflection of the rest of your lineup. If those guys are not hitting, you get really frustrated with Harrison Bader. But when you got a little depth to it, suddenly he looks pretty good out there.
2: By the way, have you guys noticed on routine fly balls in the gap? Oh yeah, the difference that he makes. I, it's noticeable. I thought
0: he was going to run over I, Tyler O'Neill on that fly, fly ball. Tyler O'Neill was going to get a little frustrated with him on that one. Oh, but. I think he was a little frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Just didn't show it. He was not happy. No. He He came all the way way over to left field
2: to make that play. (laughs) But to the bigger point, he's making those plays look routine, and that's what you want to see. Coming up, Aaron Miles will be our guest, and he's a former world champion of the St. Louis Cardinals. Looking forward to that. That'll be around 10. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Okay, so we were talking about what's happening right now in baseball. Parity, I guess, is the best way to say it, BK. But entering the season, we thought the Dodgers, Padres, Braves, probably your upper tier of the National League. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Dodgers and Padres have had their struggles this season. Dodgers are 17-14, and 2-8 in their last 10. Padres 17-14. and 14. To me, the biggest surprise in baseball, at least in the National League, has been the Giants. I didn't see this coming from the Giants, but everybody in the National League East, now going East, the Phillies, they're either fifth they're either 500 or worse. So Phillies are 15 and 15. Nationals a game above, are, excuse me, below 500, 12 and 13. Mets 11 and 12. Braves 13 and 16. The Marlins are 12 and 16. Jeff in on why the Dodgers have been struggling this year.
0: They're not hitting. They're not fielding particularly well and their bullpen is filled with injuries right now. And every team is going to go through a stretch in a season like the Dodgers are going through right now. We we got enamored of the idea that this was a super team that was going to go out and win 110, 115 games this year because, of course, that's what we want. I still think even though they could end the night with the eighth-best record in baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers are clearly far and away the best team and still the team to beat.
2: Right now, the Cardinals have the second-best winning percentage in the National League at 586, only behind the San Francisco Giants. I don't think many people thought that was going to happen.
0: No, certainly not me. I would not have been on that uh, that bingo board. I, I think that you were right. What you said earlier, the Dodgers are going to go on a run. They're going to go like 40 out of 50 at some point this season.
2: Starting pitching is too
0: good. And that's going to happen. However, as I look around the National League at the end of the first month, outside of still the Dodgers and Padres, I think the East is really the story here because I, I still believe in the talent that those two teams have. And the Padres, you look at what the, their pitching has done so far this year. That hitting's going to come around. Their pitching's too good. The NL East has been really disappointing to me, and we've seen now three of those team, four of those teams out there. They're just not as good top to bottom as I would have expected them to be. Uh, The Braves, we'll see. Maybe they come around and they end up kind of stacking up better than I'm expecting. But I think if you look at the Cardinals compared to any of those teams out east, I'll take my chances there. I think the Cardinals are a little closer or maybe even better than I expected them to be compared to those teams. Braves
2: haven't hit, but sometimes you got to have a pitcher do it for you. Braves up two in the sixth.
1: And a high fly ball center. That ball! It's a grand
2: slam for Enoa. Ah, the great Chip Carry with that call. One of my best friends and does such a great job on their games. Uh, so Enoa hits a grand slam yesterday against the Nationals. In terms of the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw, we were thinking that their pitching is going to be really, really good. Clayton Kershaw, one inning, four hits, four earned. It was game one of a doubleheader. He walked two and only struck out two at Wrigley.
0: I don't know. It wasn't good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's really nothing you can do at this point. It's embarrassing. Um, no excuses. You know, just that was that was, was horrible. So, um, you know, just put our team in a really bad spot and double doubleheader. and um, thankfully our guys, you know, in the pen stepped up and ate some innings for me and yeah, I, I don't know, just uh chalk it up to a really bad start and get ready for the next
2: one. Just not used to seeing that out of Clayton Kershaw. Now the game I was looking forward to, I've been putting this on my schedule for probably two years. They went to the Bronx and that was the Houston Astros. <laughs> <laughs> they all got booed the entire time. I don't know if you watched that game. It was on ESPN, but every time Altuve, Bregman, Correa all stepped up to the plate. They're just getting hammered, man. They're getting booed uh, just mercilessly. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, I was watching my 600-pound life last night, Dan, when the Cardinals game got canceled. I got booted off of the big TV, so uh, You didn't see it. I did not see this last night, unfortunately.
2: (laughs) Now, one of the good things that we had yesterday in Major League Baseball, because Major Leagues now are tied in, all Major League Baseball is tied in with the minor leagues, and Nolan Gorman uh, is at double-A, if you're wondering, and he was starting at third
0: base. The pinch is ripped down the third base side And a diving stab by Gorman. He stomps on the bag. Nolan Gorman, welcome to double A with a fantastic play at third base, taking away extra bases, saving at least one run and getting out number two here in this opening inning.
2: So my understanding what they're going to do with Nolan Gorman is let him ease into the minor league season at his natural position, which will be third base. But then after about four weeks, four to six weeks they're going to play 120 games in the minor leagues this year then at that point you're going to start seeing him maybe at second base maybe play a little of the outfield what complicates this a little bit bk at least in my mind is that i think we all think the universal dh is coming and when you look at the cardinals and how they're currently constructed nolan Arnato, he ain't going anywhere Tommy Edmond, he ain't going anywhere. So where does Nolan Gorman play? I, at least I would give him a run in the outfield. I, I would I would split my time with all these positions and say, okay, you're kind of my jack-of-all-trades and understand that if you hit, we're going to call you up and you're going to be a designated hitter potentially and be that kind of threat for the Cardinals next year. We'll see. Now, I may be jumping the gun a little bit. I'm excited about the kid, but... <laughs> His bat is what's going to carry him to the big leagues, is my point. Yeah,
0: you should be excited about him. I mean, you have every right to be, and if he continues developing the way that they think, he's going to be a part of this big league roster sooner rather than later. I think they would like to, based on everything we heard out of spring training, keep him on the infield dirt as long as possible. They would. The tough part is, like, okay, that's great to say in theory, but when I'm comparing him defensively to Tommy Edmond, who's been great at second base this year, and Nolan Arnato, who's not moving from third, well, yeah, the odd man out, unfortunately, is Nolan Gorman. And so. I would think that you would his natural position, once you get rid of those two, is gonna be in the outfield for better or worse. And let's be honest, the likelihood is he's probably gonna fit in as a DH a decent amount as well. So between those two spots and then maybe the off day here or there for Tommy Edmond at second base, you could work him in there. But I, I think the outfield's probably his future.
2: Talk to Mike Shield yesterday about the rule changes in the minor league. So this is a guy that's made a career out of, you know, dealing with Young players, minor league players, as a coach, as a manager. And I love his his attitude towards this. And I'm hearing this from Gary LaRock as well, who is the director of player development. Talked to him the other day. The Cardinals, and generally speaking, in minor league baseball, I think everybody is just so happy to be back that they're not worried about so much the rule changes. And they're all looking at and saying, let's get the data. Let's take a look at it. Because we do have an issue at Major League Baseball. We have an issue with not scoring enough runs and a not uh, not having the activity. So I, I think, just reading the tea leaves, I bet we see the bases go from 15 to 18 inches. That can be the difference in stolen bases. I don't necessarily like the step-off rule. I'm hearing that from a lot of people with the pitchers, because then you're dictating play. They don't want to see that. I, I would love to see the elimination, and by the way, at the major league level of the three uh, uh, batter minimum. Yeah. I think the robotic umps is going to be something that we're going to gravitate towards, and it's going to, we're going to have it. It's going to graduate towards Major League Baseball. I think that is going to happen. Now, that's being done at A-Ball. Um, I like that, the the shift. I, once the data comes in after a few months, and seeing that, I think we're going to see some type of regulat- uh, regulatory uh, implementation of... The- of the shift. I think we're going to see that. So, as minor league baseball kicked off yesterday, which I'm so happy for those minor league towns to have baseball back and those fans are so passionate, I am going to be paying really close attention to these rules. I think it's going to be fascinating.
0: Yeah, and the secondary storyline after the rules for me is going to be the AAA rotation because you look down there and it's like, okay, let's find out what uh, Matthew Libertor is doing this year. Sure. Let's see what Zach Thompson's doing because the Cavalry are coming and those are the next two big and time guys. You might, yeah. And whether it be this year or certainly next, those are guys that are going to fit into the Cardinals' plans. And it, it they could determine some of what happens with, for instance, Alex Reyes. I don't know what his future is going to be. Is it in the bullpen? Is it in the rotation? Some of that might come down to what you see out of Libertor and Thompson this year.
2: And here's the other thing, BK. We haven't talked about this a lot. First month through, uh, and maybe you have the numbers at your fingertips, I haven't seen a ton of injuries with pitching. Now, we saw DeGrom obviously go down. Um, We're seeing teams, though, be really, really overly cautious with their starters. Totally get it. Understand why coming off the truncated season. But I'll go back to what I've been saying since the offseason. And this dovetails into what I'm talking about with Thompson and Libertor, especially mid to late July, August, September, when these guys at the major league level start to get worn down. We haven't really seen it yet. Hasn't reared its ugly head yet. At least I don't think so. But will that be the trend in Major League Baseball? And to your point, you're 100% right. That's why this season, in the big picture, is so big for all all these guys to get back playing, just in general, playing, but as you help as a feeder for the major league club at some point you may have to call on these guys
0: so it's interesting you mentioned the injury question because i read two stories on this this morning alden gonzalez had this number for you from espn he said there were 102 non-covid in-season il trips by pitchers so far in the month of april so that month is now over of course that is one more than the combined total of il trips from pitchers In April of 2018 Mm -hmm. and 2019 combined. Right. So you actually had basically double the last two Aprils on the IL this April. And then Ken Rosenthal also put together a story this morning on where those IL stints are coming from. A little surprising to me, it's actually not as much arm injuries. So far, it's leg injuries that have been the increase for guys. It's upper thigh, um, it's pelvis or hip injuries that have been taking place. So I wonder if some of that is just guys being on their legs more than they were in the past. I don't know. I can't explain and I'm not a doctor. But that seems to be where the increases are coming from.
2: Coming up, we're going to visit with Aaron Miles. He was a world champion and a teammate of Chris Duncan's uh, on, on the 06 team. So looking forward to that. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered
1: by I Promise. have swept the san diego padres and
2: this has really been a remarkable. that's aaron miles on that home run and aaron miles joins us here on 101 espn i'm dan mclaughlin brandon kiley is with us and of course aaron was a great player here in st louis all kinds of different roles part of the 06 uh, world championship team hey aaron it's danny mack great to hear your voice how you doing
1: Oh, it's great to hear your voice, Danny Mac. Thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Where do we find you hey, these hey, hey. days? Oh, I'm I'm in the Bay Area, you know, uh, not too far from a hometown where I grew up. And, um, you know, still, uh, still trying to be somewhat of a role model out here and uh, get involved with baseball. And, you know, I was involved with an independent team for a while, but those things fold every now and then, and I had a team that folded out here and you know, who knows, maybe I'll get back in the game soon.
2: You got it. Uh, Tanner always brings back our guests with a nice highlight. Do you get goosebumps when you hear that?
1: Uh, that was great. You guys buttered me up a little bit. So <laughs> I, I'm good. I, feel, I, was, I feel good right now. So thank you for that.
0: <laughs> Aaron, I'm curious when you look back, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's been 15 years now since that 2006 season. What are some of the memories that immediately come to mind for you about that run that you guys went on back in 2006?
1: Uh, well, I, you know, I, I remember a couple of things, maybe I'll tell two stories here. Yeah. I got, um, you know, for me it was a roller coaster of a year from the beginning of thinking, Oh my Lord, I'm on the, I'm on the, um, you know, I'm I'm on the Cardinals and I've got a good chance to go to the playoffs and win the world series right from the get go. We started hot. I didn't even know I was going to make the team out of spring training. Um, you know, performed well for Tony Larusa And then, Through the year, you know, we had our ups and downs, a couple big-time losing streaks. Uh, And then, you know, when we traded uh, Luna for Belliard, I knew I was losing a lot of my playing time at second, and then all of a sudden I had the dilemma of, you know, I now have to be a utility infielder with not a whole lot of experience at shortstop. So I was really in fear of losing my job. And you know, thank God, Tony Larusa uh, had confidence in me and wanted to give me a try. And we brought in Jose Vizcaino. And I, any day, I thought they were bringing in somebody else, and I and I could have been shipped to AAA. But as it you know, as it stands today, you know, I went out there, I filled a position, uh, and you know, helped make a career for the rest of my you know big league career as a utility infielder.
2: You know, I always thought that Tony did a great job with players like yourself that knew it was going to be tough to be maybe in that starting lineup every single day, but he was able to keep you guys sharp and in a position to have success. Do you think that's a fair statement?
1: Uh, He's the best manager uh, for the bench players that I've ever seen. You know, he would do things like come to you in the seventh inning of a game that you weren't playing and just, you know, as he kicks the cups in the dugout, uh, I don't know if you guys know about oh, that, yeah. but he, yeah, he'd come by and say, Hey, you're starting tomorrow. And like just little things like that would kind of, in you know, would give you just excitement for the next day as a, as, as a player like that. And, and, um, you know, he was very good at knowing when he needed to keep his utility players, his bench players, get them the work they needed so they could perform and be productive players when they got in there. He was fantastic at it.
0: Aaron, one thing I'm never going to forget about your time here in St. Louis is your relief appearances. How much fun, how much pride did you take in your opportunities when you did come in to pitch? Uh,
1: now I look back on them quite fondly when I was there, I was just like, I don't want to hit anybody and make a a mockery of this game, you know? Um, but I, yeah, I did it five times. So I, I, I guess I became somewhat good of it. Uh, the first time, you know, we were in uh, D.C., uh, of course, he looked to So Gucci and, you know, was to obviously a, a higher veteran status than me at that time and uh, looked to So and said, hey, So, you want to pitch? And So looked at him and said, oh, no, I do not want to pitch. <laughs> 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 and and, and 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 so he gave, so the option, he looked at me and said, you are definitely pitching, get your butt down there and warm up. (laughs) And so I, I didn't have the choice to say no. And it ended up working out in the end.
2: I, you know how amazing is it you guys were back and um it was a game i can't remember it might have been against the marlins and it was a reunion of the 06 team and you guys were all together and you look down and waino goes the distance and molina's behind the plate and they point up to you guys and uh you guys point back it was just an incredible moment and yet here we are in 2021 and they're still doing it it's it's amazing are you are you just amazed at seeing these guys doing what they're doing
1: they're timeless. They're like fine wine. I mean, <laughs> these two guys are amazing. And you're right. That was an awesome moment. Um, it, 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 was perfect. I mean, how, you know, obviously they didn't set that up. It just happened. Right. And I mean, I don't think, uh, they set it up, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, to have that happen when we were there was, was unbelievable. And, you know, you, you just, Uh, those guys are two potential Hall of Famers. I mean, I think, you know, who knows if Wayno has the stats, but, you know, I look back at that 2016. I mean, in my head, Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer. Jimmy Edmonds is a Hall of Famer. uh, Pujols is a Hall of Famer. um, You know, Chris Carpenter's, uh, you know, these guys are all, even if they don't get in, they all had Hall of Fame ability and they they brought it every day and uh, you know and Yadier Molina so you look back at a team like that yeah we weren't we didn't have the most amazing record but we had almost probably five or six potential hall of famers on one team so no wonder we won you know uh, <laughs> that's who those guys were
0: Did you know in the moment, Aaron, I always like talking to you guys about what that team was then versus what you think of it now, right? Did you know then just how much talent you had with Albert and with Roland and with Edmonds? And as you mentioned, Carpenter in the rotation, Yachty behind the plate, did you know what you guys had?
1: Well, you know, when I got traded from the Colorado Rockies to the St. Louis Cardinals, I immediately thought, Oh my God, I'm going to win a world series. So I knew, um, I didn't know how much just quiet confidence those guys had, you know, um, and it was, um, it was special to be as being a young player, you know, at that time. And I went from being a young player to considered a veteran pretty quick because I had so much time in the minor leagues, but uh, those guys uh, just oozed confidence. You know, it, it was coming out of, you know, every poor they had and it, it You know, of course you knew it because you knew who they were. Um, And, you know, we got off to a hot start and, you know, the sky was the limit at that point. You know, we had some bumps that obviously, you know, shook our confidence a little bit. But those veteran players, man, every time we went through a bad stretch, you know, we turned it around and they kept looking forward, man.
2: Aaron Miles is our guest and he's one of my favorites. He's as you can tell here on the radio, he is just great to talk to and uh Aaron I, I got to ask you about the the late uh, Chris Duncan because I, I've said many times and we're celebrating his life here on 101 ESPN and as you know he became a a radio talk show host and was fabulous. I mean fabulous at it. And then he worked with the with us on the TV side and he was great at it. If you would have told me that Chris Duncan and Brad Thompson would become really good guys in the media, like like excellent at what they do, I said, you're out of your minds. Can you believe how good these guys have gotten at what they did? And, and Dunk was great at it, and obviously BT's really good at it too.
1: Well, you know, they were amazing in the clubhouse. So when I think about how great teammates they were and amazing guys in the clubhouse, um, it doesn't surprise me then. But you know, like me, they were kind, You know, they were pieces, not the main parts. You know what I mean? Not to, you know, take anything away from any accomplishments any of us had. Uh, they, you know, you just don't feel that. But you know, Duncan grew up in a big league clubhouse. I mean, this guy, you know, got yelled at by Ricky Henderson for getting in his way when he was ten years old. You know, shagging fly balls in the Oakland A's outfield. Um, they, uh, you know, got in a fight with. Shelly, I think, in the A's clubhouse. And, you know, the players said, get these kids out of here. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, so these guys, you know, he grew up uh, around the game. His knowledge was so vast of the game. You know, having one of the best pitching coaches in the history of the game is your dad. Um, it's no wonder that he has the knowledge. I mean, obviously, you know, Chris was somebody that when you talk to him, He wanted to know you, he wanted to understand you, and he wanted to make you feel better about yourself. And uh, he's just an amazing individual, and uh, I miss him every day.
2: One of the amazing stories of Aaron Miles is what happened to you at being robbed at gunpoint. Um, Do you feel feel comfortable telling that story?
1: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel comfortable. You know, I was in spring training yeah uh, in 2000 i think it was 2000 and um you know just uh, a bunch of minor league ball players sharing a bunch of hotel rooms and and i happened to go into mine and not shut my door completely cuz my roommate was out maybe in the next door over and so i'm in there and then sure enough two guys with uh with guns come in my room come right up to me stick a gun to my head and i persisted to be a a hostage for about, I'd say, an hour and a half. Um, the, the, one of the gunmen jumped out early before um, the, the cops got there or right when they did, and then the other guy pulled me back in my room, and I was a hostage, you know, uh, with the gun to my head. And so what happened from there is I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it much longer after about an hour, and I ended up turning on him. Uh, you know, he gave me a chance to kind of go for the gun. I went for it, wrestled him down, Uh, kind of slammed him into the wall. He bit me. I bit him. I bit his hand off the gun, pulled it out, yelled for the cops to come in. They came in and uh, they put six bullets in this guy. um, And I jumped out a broken window and little did I know there was about 30 or 40 of my teammates, uh, you know, in the parking lot and they all jumped up, screamed yay when they saw me jump out, you know, unscathed. So, it's it was a pretty amazing story. <laughs> oh, it's, it's an
2: unbelievable yeah. story. It's incredible. But that, you know, that's that's the kind of guy you were, though. I mean, you were as tough as nails, and that's why we wanted to get you on to talk about, you know, 06 and your career. And, and that's how you had to play, too. I mean, I know that's a life-and-death situation, but when you're a bench guy or trying to hang on in the big leagues and then you enjoyed a nice, long career, that's how you got to play. You got to go for broke.
1: Uh, you do. You know, I, I have to. You know, throughout my career, teams, you know, valued certain aspects of me. But you know, one of the one of the best things I think Larusa was really good at understanding and un- knowing what was inside the player and how much how much fight he had in him because the season is long and it's tough. And when it's hot in St. Louis, you know. 10 days in a row, you've got the humidity, you haven't had a good day, the team's losing. You need guys that just don't give up, don't quit, and are willing to go to the end of the earth for you. And, you know, that's who I was uh, and, and tried to play like that every night. And, and, and that's who a guy like Chris Duncan was. He was going to give everything he got, even more than what he got. You know what I mean? Just put it all out there. And that's what we did.
0: Aaron, final question that I've got for you, and it's on Dunk. Um, One thing that I loved about listening to him here on the station whenever he was doing the the radio here was he was like an onion, man. I mean, he he had interests that when you would first meet him, you would have no idea that this guy was like – a devotee to the, um, to, to stuff like sea urchins and, um, <laughs> the, uh, the coral reef. Like the guy, he was interested in the sod and the grass out at the ballpark. Like he, he had interests that are crazy. When you think back to Duncan, maybe it's some of the funny memories because we always know the guy was laughing. Uh, what, what comes to mind for you about just the, the character that was Chris Duncan?
1: Well, he was a super fun guy, you know, a guy that you would enjoy uh, having a beer with and talking baseball. Uh, he loved to talk about the game consistently. And, you know, and he, he he did some funny things, man. I mean, you know, there's pictures of him on the internet of, you know, World Series trophies <laughs> and weird places, um, you know, and you can put anything you want there. Uh, but I'll tell one story about him. You know, it was with the World Series and, you know, Me and him, I mean, I feel like I was a really, really, really good second baseman defensively. But at short and third, which I played, you know, decently in my career, I was always kind of scared out there. I mean, not scared, but like, uh, I don't feel that comfortable because this isn't my normal position that I've played my whole life. And Dunk was a first baseman coming up. And being a first baseman in the St. Louis Cardinals organization at that time, probably a pretty hard climb, I would right? say. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not sure when he went to the outfield, but it was pretty late in his career. I mean, it must have been A. maybe it was Double I don't think he had more than a year or two in the outfield. And when he came up, you can remember – there were some days where he made some plays that were like, what's going on out there? (laughs) And and so here we are. And, you know, he established himself with his bat and he played a decent enough left field that, you know, Tony would put him out there. And obviously we're sitting there and this is in Detroit. And I, you know, we're kind of, you know, the game, I don't know if we have the game next day or uh, I think we have maybe the, the workout the next day. And he comes to my room. He says he can't sleep very well, you know, and maybe we're enjoying a beer or something. And, uh, we're watching these World Series highlights, right? And, you know, we're seeing Joe Carter hit the home run and, uh, you know, a couple of big other moments. And then all of a sudden it comes to Buckner and it shows the Buckner play. And Dunk looks at me and he gives me, he gives you that like surprised look like his mom just, uh, you know, he just got in trouble or something, wide eyes. And he gives you that really big look. And he said, turn this off. We're go. I'm going home. <laughs> 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 and he told me, he looked at me and goes, forget we ever saw that clip. <laughs> I'm like, okay. All right. So, uh, and that's what, you know, he was, he was funny and the comedic, um, guy that he always was, uh, I, we miss him every day. And, you know, it's it's awesome that he got to experience baseball, um, and talk about it as much that he did at the, at the, you know the latter part of his life, and that's a wonderful thing that he got to experience, and you guys got to experience that with him.
2: This has been fun, Aaron. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing these memories. And uh I can't wait to see you at a fantasy camp, too. You're, you're great with the the guys that come out to fantasy camp, the former players, obviously, but also the campers. And you're always a, a Cardinal family member and a part of the 06 World Champions. So don't be stranger coming through St. Louis, please.
1: Absolutely, Danny Mac. Thank you. And thank you too, BK. I appreciate it. You Absolutely. got
2: it. You're always a class act. That's right. uh Thanks, buddy. That's Aaron Miles from the uh, 2006 World Champions. That was fun.
0: That was awesome. Um, He's I great. Had, He's such heard, a good guy. I had heard the story before of being robbed at gunpoint. I had read that before. Hearing him tell it, though, is different. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I cannot even imagine what that must have been like for him in the moment. And then hearing that dunk story, I got to be honest, I don't know that I had ever heard that story I had before. not either um that's incredible and it is Chris Duncan in a moment like that that is from what I know about the guy everything that I've heard from Staltz everything that I listened to when he was doing the show with Staltz that is Chris Duncan
2: uh Aaron Miles back to him for a moment too he would come off the field he would find me all the time I'd be hanging out in the dugout on certain days just waiting for guys to finish up BP of ground balls and he'd come over and just sit down and shoot the bull, yep. you know, and and I'd heard that story and talked to him multiple times about it. Now, he, that was a surface-level story of sure. what happened, but incredible, incredible what he went through. I mean, he's lucky, obviously, to be alive, and uh, as he explained there, I mean, it was a life-and-death situation, and um, he got the most out of his ability, and I did talk to him about how Tony used him. He's like, man, I am so thankful that I got to St. Louis. Not only was it a game-changer for me to win a World Series, which is what every player wants to do, every kid dreams about. But in terms of the personal aspect of what I went on beyond that, he went on to the Cubs and got a really nice contract from the Chicago Cubs. He said, life-changing money changed my whole life. Coming to St. Louis. That's Aaron Miles. This is 101 ESPN. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast
1: powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go.